so our theme today explores the process of lamenting. That's actually quite an old-fashioned word. We probably don't hear it much anymore, um, but we're going to unpack what that, mes what that message of lamenting means. Um, Nicole will um, share with us a message today about how the Bible teaches us to lament by looking at the Book of Lamentations. And we also want to thank you to thank the two pastors who Nicole worked with in the um, progression of the message that she's about to share. Um, it's based on Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 19 to 40. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let us bury his face in the dust, that there may be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone, to crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice. Would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak? and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Nicole, please come and share with us your message. And before you start, let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you this morning as you deliver a message for us. Holy Spirit, come rest on Nicole and rest on all of us as well as we hear the message. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. All right. Um, so let me first start by asking you, how many of you have read the Book of Lamentations? How many of you have no idea, um, sorry, how many of you know where it's located in the Bible? And how many of you have no idea? So I was in that last category in 2020, in the midst of lockdowns and COVID and everything that was happening. I was so much so in that last category that I used to call it the Book of Lamingtons. <laughs> and when I found out that that was the book I was going to be reading with my ES worker at uni, I had to quickly discover where it was in the Bible and to get out of the habit of calling it the Book of Lamingtons. Otherwise, that probably would have been pretty embarrassing. 
So for those of you who don't know, ES is a Christian group on uni campuses, which stands for Evangelical Students. And so we meet together for Bible studies, for talks and prayers and events. Normally in our ES Bible studies, with the shorter books, we'd read the full thing first. And then we would discuss it. Then each consecutive week, week, we would read a chapter at a time, sometimes even just a passage at a time, and then discuss it in depth. And these would be about an hour sessions. So after reading it the first week, I was like, yeah, cool, five weeks of talking about depressed people. This should be easy, another book I can tick off. Um, but man, in, in those five weeks, God certainly opened up my eyes to see so much more. It is so eloquent in the way that it's written and why there is so much chaos and confusion and so many reasons to lament, the author of Lamentations has articulated it amazingly. For me, it really drew me in to feel their pain. Um, and so people always look at me weirdly now when I say that it's my favourite book of the Bible. Yet I want to share with each and every one of you how amazing it is and some of the lessons it teaches us. So first off, a bit of background though, because that's always useful in understanding the context of why things have been said. And for those of you who know me, you know that context in reading Bible verses is so important. So let me flick back with you to Deuteronomy and Joshua. Um, we read that the Israelites made a covenant to God to worship him and to him alone to not disobey him and to obey his commands. Keeping with this covenant would ensure God's blessings in the promised land. But in the next lot of books, they show us the Israelites stuff up and they stuff up big time They've got idols, they follow other gods, and they even request to have a king to lead them. They continually fall short of the covenant that they have with God. So then we jump to 2 Samuel, where King David captured Jerusalem and made it the political capital for Israel. He also made it the spiritual capital by bringing the Ark of the Covenant into it. And he renamed it Zion, which is why if you ever read about Zion, they're talking about Jerusalem. So this place meant a fair bit for our Israelites. But through bad kings, corrupt priests, idolatry and injustice, Israel turned their back on God. And whilst God is slow to anger, he still did get angry at human sin. The Babylonians captured and conquered Jerusalem, and the Israelites were taken away to a foreign country in exile. They were subjected to some pretty bad living conditions, and this is where we meet them in Lamentations. Oh, it's not working for me today. Um... So lamentations, in the simplest form, means to lament, so to grieve or to mourn. And these people had every reason to lament. They had lost everything. Everything really did seem hopeless. The Israelites knew they had put themselves in this situation for continually breaking the covenant with God. Yet they still lamented that this was their new reality. So chapter 1, verses 2, puts it this way. Um, Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks... Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. So in this, you can see that the Israelites felt alone. Whilst we might not have family members killed, our homes destroyed, or end up in exile like they did, I know that there are many moments where we do feel alone, lost and hopeless. It might be losing a loved one, uh, losing a job, a house. It might have been going through a messy divorce or a breakup. Or in our circumstances these days, it might even just be finding out you have to go into isolation. So these are the moments where we might feel like there is no one to comfort us. Where we lament and we call out to God and we ask, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? How long before you rescue us? 
the Israelites asked these same questions in their time of lament. Um, So now we flick forward to chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. They say, My eyes fail from weeping. I am torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, Where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. And in chapter 4, verse 10, With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. This moment of lament didn't just affect the adults, as we think most um, moments of lament do. This affected our kids as well, in more ways than one. I remember reading in chapter 4 and wondering why God would ever let something get so bad that mothers would need to cook up their own children for food. To me, that just seemed really cruel. You know, normally it's the other way around, where parents would do anything to save their children. But through their sins, through their exile, starvation and depravity, the Israelites had completely lost hope. I still struggle to wrap my head around the depth of depravity they went through, yet God still had plans to restore their hope and to give them a future as well. And this is where chapter 3 comes in. It's kind of a bit of a break in the rest of the book of Lamentations. So the whole book is written um, as a poem, as an acrostic poem with chapters 1 to 4 using um, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there is one verse per letter in chapters 1, 2, and 4, and chapter 3 has three verses per letter, which makes it flow a little bit differently from the rest. Chapter 5 is still a poem, but it doesn't follow that acrostic structure. But chapter 3 is what I want to focus on. This is the most amazing part of the book. Amongst all of their affliction, this is what they say in verses 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. If you go back and read through the whole book, you will see in great detail their suffering. The author paints an amazing imagery on how they felt left without help and had been shot with God's arrows. Yet they can still sit in this lament and say, because of God's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They know that God is faithful and that he will remember his promises. So they wait on the Lord Even in their time of hopelessness, they can still see God as their hope. They will trust and they will wait on the Lord because they have seen and heard about his faithfulness throughout the generations. I love how the Bible Project describes this. They say God's judgment becomes a seedbed of hope for the future. They understand that they have fallen short and sinned just like we do, but it's almost like they catch a glimpse of the future. And they see that in God they still have a future. And while it may seem like they've forgotten about now, um, while it seems that they've forgotten about now, they know God will remain faithful to his promises. So we have these moments of lament in our lives. No one is immune from this. But this is the awesome truth we can hold on to as Christians, regardless of what is going on in our lives, whether it be the death of someone, a messy divorce, a betrayal of a friend, whatever it may be. We can still be hopeful when all may seem hopeless. This is because we know that because of God's great love, we don't have to be consumed by the torment in our lives. We know that God will never forsake us and that his compassions, 
his love for us never fail, and that they are new every morning, and we can hold on to each and every one of God's promises. And so I encourage you to go hunting in your Bibles for these promises, and to hold on tight to each and every one of them. So what does the book of Lamentations actually teach us? So I've got three points um, from what I've read. So number one, that God is our comforter. So no matter what is happening in the world or in our lives, God is always with us. If you ever just feel like you need, you know, a big hug from someone or to fall in someone's eyes and, uh, arms and just cry and let it all out, let me tell you that is God. He is there for you. He is our comforter and he will wrap us in his love and his peace. He will provide us with godly people as well who can wrap their arms around us too. When we go through moments where everything seems hopeless, we need to remember God's promises because God remembers his own promises. He will always fulfill his promises. We can trust that God is faithful and that whenever we feel hopeless, we can cling on to him and to what he said. So I've got two sort of favorite promises that I have. One comes from Isaiah 62 verse 4. It says, no longer will they call you deserted or your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. You know, to me, I think that's pretty cool that God delights in us, delights in each and every one of us always. And the other one comes from James 4 verse 8. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And I just think that's pretty cool that we have a God who comes to us as well. My second point is to pray. To pray always and in all circumstances to pray. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He also says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. We're taught throughout the Bible to pray. It says it everywhere. But I want you to think differently about your prayer life because the Israelites in Lamentations certainly didn't say wishy-washy prayers. They didn't have all the big words um, and they didn't present a shopping list to God. By the end of Lamentations, we could see their prayer was chaos. There was no order to it. They were heartbroken. They were angry. They were venting to God. They let it all out, not holding anything back just because they didn't want to upset God. So I want, you to tell, I want to tell you to rethink your prayer life because our God, the creator of everything, can take what you're going to say to him. You don't have to hold anything back just because you don't want to upset him. God wants you to be raw with him, to be vulnerable. He wants you to vent. He wants to hear everything. Because when you do, you're giving him control of that in your life. So don't just give him something every now and then. Be honest with him, the good and the bad, have a conversation with God because he really wants to hear from you. My third one is lament. And I know this ends it in a bit of a somber note, but it's okay to lament. It's okay to show emotions. But more importantly, don't do it by yourself. If there's one thing that you learn from lamentations, it's to lament with others. It's important to note, though, as well, that some people have different ways of processing grief. While there may be some people who are ready to talk straight away, there may be others who want some alone time to process, but they may still appreciate someone sitting there in silence with them. We see that the Israelites lamented. We see that King David lamented with his men when King Saul died. The women lamented at Jesus' death. Jesus also grieves and weeps. You know, he weeps over Jerusalem because he knows what's to come for the city. He grieves for us. At the cross, Jesus grieves for us in our suffering. He shares our chaos. 
He shares our pain, our desolation and our laments. You know, he even says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He experiences our rejection and our death. Yet in his resurrection, he turns death into life for you and for me. He shares in our victory. Uh, he shares his victory over death with you and me. So we can live in, with hope in God's power to make all things new and right. So even if you don't think your lament is that bad, let other people in so they can come alongside you, they can listen to you, support you, pray for you and help you process it. We aren't supposed to do life alone. You know, God didn't create us to be alone. We are relational creatures. We need people, we need each other. Not just in those happy butterfly, you know, rainbow moments, but in those storms, in those times of lament when everything feels hopeless. So when you see someone lamenting, someone mourning, Come alongside them, comfort them, lament with them. And if you're the other person lamenting, let them in. It makes, you know, it might be the last thing that you want to do, but it makes such a difference. God wants you to help, God wants to help you work through your grief. To know that, um, for you to know that he is going to be with you, to bring you hope and healing. He wants to see you blossom, to grow in life and to grow in faith with him. Regardless of what is happening in your life, the good, the bad, or the ugly. It's important to invite others into your journey, to share what you're going through, whether that's lamenting or celebrating. Lamentations finishes by saying this, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you are angry with us beyond measure. This book doesn't end with any beautiful conclusion, no answers. It ends with more confusion, which is just like our lives. There are no pretty answers. Lots of it is confusing. But we need to remember that we are part of God's new covenant, his restoration covenant with Jesus at the centre of it all. We can be confident that even in our confusion, in our constant sin, that because of Jesus' death for us on the cross, taking God's full wrath, his full justice for us, we can be confident that God does forgive us. He will not forsake us. He will restore us and create us new. And so we can have hope even when it seems hopeless. So let us hold on to God, onto God's faithfulness. Let us hold on to Jesus' goodness and his sacrifice. And let us fix our eyes on him, even in the worst of our laments. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, we want to thank you that um, you are there with us, that you are always walking alongside us. And we just ask that we can open up our hearts to you, that we can give you everything that, um, yeah, in our times of grief, in our times of lament, and even in our times of celebration, that we can come to you, that we can fix our eyes on you and give you everything. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, I invite you to stand for our next song.